Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tech Educator Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and you are listening to the podcast that helps you learn how to u- learn all about and use the latest in educational technology for your classroom. Today with me are my co-hosts Jeff Herb from InstructionalTechTalk.com, John Samuelson from Techlandia, and Sam Patterson from the Patui Network. You, if you are listening to us for the first time, we welcome you to join us each and every week on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, as we discuss the world of educational technology live on the TeacherCast Podcasting Network. And you can collaborate with us using the hashtag at TechEdShow. If you can't catch us live on Saturdays, there are several ways that you can contact us and participate in the show. You can certainly leave a voicemail at techeducatorpodcast slash voicemail. You can email us at feedback at techeducatorpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at techedshow, or certainly you can use the hashtag techedshow. I certainly want to welcome our co-host today. I want to start from great city of Chicago, Mr. Jeff Herb. Jeff, how are you today? It's good to be here. Well, uh, I run the website instructionaltechtalk.com, which features articles and the podcast Instructional Tech Talk, as well as something new called the Weekly Challenge, when our sixth week of the Weekly Challenge, it was just released today, the sixth one. And additionally, I'm also an administrator at a high school in Chicago. So... I used to be an English teacher, and I was in a media studies teacher for a year, and so I just have kind of a diverse background, which has kind of led me through my instructional technology, I don't know, path, I guess, that got me to this website. So um, just really excited to be part of the show and see it develop, and I'm really excited that we're now streaming live. I think that's awesome. Also joining us today from the Petui Network is my other co-host, Mr. Sam Patterson. Sam, talk to us a little bit about what you do. Hi, Jeff. I'm an English teacher focusing mainly on ninth grade, uh, sometimes 11th grade, working at mypaperlessclassroom.org to try and figure out a lot of the just technical and practical issues of flipped instruction and good pedagogy. Well, we've had a lot of stuff going on in all of our networks, of course. Uh, Let's start with you, Jeff. You recently went to the ICE convention, didn't you? Yes, I did. ICE conference uh, was going on in St. Charles, Illinois this past week, and it was a great group of people that showed up for that. Uh, So many great uh, keynote sessions and breakout sessions that we went to. John Samuelson was actually in town for that. That's why he's not joining us this evening is because he's flying back to Austin from Chicago. Uh, But it was great to be there and be with so many of the educational, awesome educators. I don't know how else to say it. EdTech celebrities, who knows? But uh, John Samuelson was there, Tom Whitby, uh, Scott Meach, Ben Gray, Angela Myers, Sue Gorman, Jenny McGuera, Meg Wilson, Josh Stupenhorse. I mean, it was a really good group of people. Uh, it was really nice to catch up with them as well. So I learned about creating iBooks with iBooks um iBooks on the iPad, actually, not using iBooks author, but creating an iBook on the iPad, and that was really cool. Um, We had a really good time, and we'll get into a little bit more of it later in the show, but the ICE conference was fantastic. Um, It was really cool, too, that John was in town. We were able to 
both record part of our shows for this upcoming week for Techlandia for John's and for Instructional Tech Talk for mine. Uh, we both were co-anchoring our shows as things were happen happening throughout the ICE conference. So uh, we had a fun time just plopping down at a table and recording segments for the show right there amongst everyone and just had a really good time. So I ICE conference was good. And uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the stuff that's been happening recently at Instructional Tech Talk. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this recent week's episode features Jay and Deep, who are both the co-founders of Actively Learn. Actively Learn is a website that builds ebooks off of you know currently operating ebooks. Most of the ones that are in the literary canon have already been converted into their Actively Learn format. And the, what they've done with it is really cool. They've taken these ebooks and turned them to be way more engaging. Uh, you have the ability to have teachers embed questions throughout the text so that students can respond to these questions as they're reading and the teacher gets real-time feedback as to what they're understanding and what they're not understanding. Uh, the other really cool thing is that students can flag parts of the text that they did not understand and those and the teachers get those flags automatically so that they know what they can do to uh, help out their students before they leave the classroom or as soon as the classrooms come in or the class the students come into the classroom the next day they already have a lesson plan that's tailored to what they need so it's a really cool um, service and you got to check it out it's at the instructional tech talk podcast which is instructionaltechtalk.com slash 10 will take you right to the episode uh, this upcoming week, like I kind of mentioned, we're going to be focusing a lot on what we learned at the ICE conference. John Samuelson will be on there, and Jeff, I think you're going to be featuring on there this week, talking about what you did at um, the conference WeTech Broadcasting Live. So I'm really excited to hear about that, too. So, nice. good stuff. Now, Sam, talk to us a little bit about Pitui. I saw some really interesting videos that you made. Um, you interviewed <laughs> some pretty big celebrities about where, where you were this year, this week. Well, you know, Petui had some had some successes on a couple of different levels. On uh, one level, we got some really good uh, kind of gadget chats done with Panasonic, Troxel Communications, and uh, Dave from TechSmith Edu. And each of those will be rolling out, I think, hopefully uh, Tuesday of this week. Some good interviews. But we have a, a new correspondent uh, whose name is Waka, and he actually was able to uh, land an interview with George Koros. So that was nice, and they talked on a wide range of topics going from progressive education to George's obsession with Justin Bieber. So, you know, I think that uh, there, there's some hope where some of our prior correspondents had been a little bristly and difficult to get along with. I think Waka is going to be one that we can really put to some good work here in the future. And talk to us a little bit about who or what Waka is. <laughs> oh, Waka is a, a fuzzy orange puppet who uh, is avuncular and well-informed. And uh, what does he do? What does he do? He, he talks to people about education. He uh, really helps people see the pedagogical best practices and you know certain ideas and just kind of supports an ongoing conversation and also creates a, a friendly and easygoing interviewing atmosphere. <laughs> I'm sure he does. And, and how do people take him? So far, really well. Um, you know, the when we approached George, he wanted to make sure that Waka was a nice puppet and not a comic insult dog style puppet. And I assured him that, that Waka was. Luckily, Stuart wasn't available, so 
you know, we really got to read reap the benefit of bringing in some new blood there, so to speak, some new fluff, I guess. And you how could is say. Stewart doing? It's hard to say. He's sulking. I understand. Understand. Yeah. So, in other news, we are live. We are going to be broadcasting here every single Sunday night, and uh, we think we have this video thing down pretty well, and we're always looking for some great people to join us. We had a great guest, I believe it was two episodes ago, with Richard Cleveland. Maybe it was last week. It's been a long week for us here. And and since then, let's see, TeacherCast has been going live, going video, going non-stop. Yesterday, we actually broadcasted all day at the WeTech convention. Now, WeTech stood for West Essex Technology Symposium, and we were there broadcasting various sessions, and we broadcasted a live binder session, and uh, live binders and Evernote, and then we did a session on iPads that we broadcasted. But we actually had a chance to sit down for two hours. I had a partner, uh, his name is Jay Eitner, and we broadcasted live streaming for two hours and interviewed some of the great people that were there, the administrators, the teachers, and really got a good idea about it. And I was able to put all those videos up on YouTube today, and I'll put the links for that on our on our show notes. But um, TeacherCast is proudly and quickly going into a broadcasting live show, and uh, we're having a good time with it. So check us out, just like you're watching right now, teacherCast.net slash live. And it looks like this week we're going to actually have three shows coming up. In addition to this one here, we're going to be broadcasting the NJ Ed Chat, which is going to be on Tuesday nights at 8.30. And then on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Eastern, we've got a special um, edu coach that we're going to be starting up. And uh, you never know. We might sneak in and do the Patui Chat at, 10 o- at, at uh, 8 o'clock on Tuesdays. So we'll... I was going to say you'll have to you'll have to slide in there real quick. Slide right in there really quick. So we'll see what happens there. So if you are available um, on Tuesday or Wednesday night, certainly check us out live. And uh, you know you never know when we might pop up. So catch me on Twitter at TeacherCast. We actually did a live impromptu TeacherCast podcast. It was number what was it eighty five. Um, where we had the Tech Buzz on and uh, Naked 8 Productions on on Friday afternoon. So lots of good stuff happening on TeacherCast, uh, especially in the world of video. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening in the world of education. Uh, Somebody had mentioned that we were trying to figure out whether to go Dropbox or Google Drive with their files. Um, Anybody want to take that one away? Well, I had put that in there. Um, it was actually kind of interesting. Someone had posted to my Twitter feed. My Your let me start over. Your my puppets. articles. Yeah, Don't worry, feed, it's not live. It's my puppet feed. No big deal. Um, somebody had posted on my Twitter feed. My articles automatically post to Twitter so that people can actually see them, which is good. But. Um, one of them from about a year ago posted where I talked about using Dropbox as a way to collect student assignments. And so somebody saw that today and responded to me and they said, do you think Dropbox or Google Drive is a better option now that it's been a year since you posted this? And I really thought about that for a while and I'm not sure. I don't think I'm convinced that one way is better than another because I think that there's different uses for different services. I think that if you're solely gonna be word processing, then obviously Google Drive is the best way to go. But if you're going to be you know, collecting different documents that are not necessarily word-based documents like movies or pictures or that kind of stuff, 
I think that you're probably still safer dealing with Dropbox than you are Google Drive. What do you guys I'm think? I'm a big Dropbox fan, and the reason I didn't download the Google Drive client is because you can only have one account at a time. So, I, you know, many of us have multiple Google Drive or Google accounts, but in order to use the Google Drive client, you can only have one at a time. And so if you wanted to switch, it then pulls all that stuff and then has to reload it and pull it all. It's a hassle. However, with Dropbox, I actually have a 115 gigabyte Dropbox account, and I have everything on there from TeacherCast to Jersey Education to my school stuff to you name it. It's all in there. And I personally like Dropbox. Now, I'm also a big believer in iCloud. So most of my documents are actually on iCloud because I prefer to use Pages and Keynote rather than Google Presentations. But certainly if I'm going to be collaborative, then I make a Google Doc, but if I had to choose between one of the others, I'm going to go choosing Dropbox no matter what. Yeah. Sam, what are you doing? If, if I was setting it up today, right now I split, I split my time pretty much between Dropbox and Google Drive, and I don't know that there's a really clear distinction as to why I use which for which. But like this past week, I saw someone who had eight different uh, Shakespeare movies full length sitting in their Google Drive so that they could get to it when they were teaching. Really? Yeah. And I've also seen some amazing work with Google Docs and automated document distribution to a class list. Because there's that... Uh, oh, yeah. Doctopus. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk a little later in the show. They're, they've mm-hmm. upgraded that a little bit. It's I don't know how to use it yet, but it's really, really compelling. And if I, you know, I'm getting ready to, I'm thinking about possibly changing the way that I run my entire class. So if I was going to rebuild a class from the ground up digitally, you know, there's a lot in Google Drive right now that makes that seem like a very useful tool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I'll look forward to the conversation about Doctopus because in the uh, presentation that Jenny McGarra did, She'd used Octopus live while we were in the actual presentation. Oh, I, I, really I want to cool hear about stuff. that. Yeah. yeah, we'll talk about it for sure. But, um, yeah, I just, I don't know where I'm at yet. I don't know how I feel about the difference between Dropbox and Google Drive, and I think that's really dependent on if you're a Google Apps Red uh, building. And if you are, I think your choice is made pretty much for you because mm-hmm. it would make sense to continue using Now, does that. Google Drive give um, you a URL? For every file? Um, if you set it to share publicly and share via link, yeah. Okay. Right. Because right. I, I love putting stuff yeah. into Google, into Dropbox, and then you, you just right-click on the file and it says, give me the link, and then I can easily share. Yeah. It used to be so that way you had to log into Dropbox to get the link. But it's easier right now right. for, I mean, we do it here. I just share the file with you or share the folder with you. Um it's just it's a no-brainer sometimes to do it that way. Now, Jeff, how much Dropbox space are you currently using, or how much do you have available to you? You know, it's surprising. I always think that I'm getting too close to my limit, but I'm usually not, and I store a lot of stuff in there. I think I'm at about 2.6 gigs of storage used, and based on all my referrals since I've had Dropbox for years, um, I think I'm at about 10 gigs of free storage space. So... I mean, I'm not even close to using right. my limit, but at the same time, I mean, I haven't really started using it for major media files. Now, does Google Drive and do versioning? 
That, that so I don't know. You Sam. can see the added history. See, here's, I think. I, yeah, no, you can't. That's I, right. I made a mistake once, and I was actually saved no. by Dropbox, believe it or not. Where, you know how when you plug your camera in, it tries to, you know, there's a program in Dropbox where it'll pull your, your photos up to Dropbox automatically. It's a great little feature that yep. Dropbox has. Now, I don't like it because I have it pulling into Aperture and iPhoto and then Dropbox, and I was trying to get rid of all of these 400 pictures because I realized it wasn't just pulling the pictures on my iPhone, it was pulling the movies in too. So I turned around one day and I noticed that I had 125% of my Dropbox was full. (laughs) So what do I do? I go into the folder, I thought, and then I hit select all and I hit delete. And then I proceeded for the next hour and a half to watch 83,000 files disappear from my life. Excellent. That's something happened to me like that on Dropbox too, where I get there was a serious confusion for me about how my local actions were affecting the other locally stored drives. Right. There's a lot about your local actions, isn't there, Sam? We're on we're on video, and so <laughs> I do know that uh, I know that Google Drive does do versioning, and I remember that because we had a similar situation where there was a a doc that was totally wiped, and we were able to go back and see who actually did it and revert back to a stored version of it. So. Now that I thought about it a little bit more, there is versioning involved in the Google Docs. I just like the fact that with Dropbox, I was able to go back and go whoops and go back to the yesterday's files. And when I watched 83,000 files come back onto my hard drive. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that was that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, I know. I know Google Drive does not do that. It does not have versioning for the entire account. It does do it for individual documents, but I don't know if it does it. I don't think it does it for the entire account as a whole. No, I, I always recommend everybody get a Dropbox account, and if they have a Mac, get on to Time Machine and certainly have a yes. nice backup because Time Machine also has saved can, many times. Yeah. Can you point Time Machine to your Dropbox? Interesting. You, no, because uh, Time Machine only works on a external hard drive that's plugged directly in to your Mac. That's now, right. I've heard people say that, you know, go through a wireless hub and then plug your... No, no, no. You want to have all of your backups, and this is another topic completely for us, but but always <laughs> plug your, your backup systems directly into your computer. But we'll save backup systems yeah. for another topic because I've done three or four full podcast, hour-long podcasts on backup systems, and certainly we'll talk about that later. Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do a show sometime, Jeff, about uh, WordPress backup systems. Yeah, that sounds so, good. Hey, we actually do have a question that came in oh, on wow. Twitter. Um, it says, Dear Tech Educator, having issues connecting Google and Edmodo Library. Any ideas? Uh, yes, reset your password. Yeah? Oh, no, that's Evernote. Never mind. Can I get a rule <laughs> on that one? Uh, Come on, quick fingers. Are any of you Edmodo no, users? No, I'm not, but I, 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 I've seen a lot of Edmodo presentations, but I'm, I'm not an Edmodo user. Have, have we just failed on our first question? I believe so. I'm so, so. sorry if you're out but there. Jay Gorczewski. Okay. Th- thank you. Thank you for that. 
Jay Gorczewski, thank you for the question. We will find out the answer, and I'll make sure that we get back to you sometime I, during I, the week. I'll, I'll and, say if you're uh, out there, Jay, know. there's three or four people who I would love to ask. And if you stick on TeacherCast uh, Tuesday night at 8.30, um, our good friend who is SOMS Library, if you, if you reach out to SOMS Library, um, she would be a good person, and she's going to be my co-host this Tuesday night during the NJ Ed chat. So uh, either reach out to SOMS oh. Library or certainly email or t- tweet me at TeacherCast, and we will get the information for you on Edmodo. But uh, Alyssa will, is fabulous. We'll definitely find you an answer. Um, another discussion topics. There was several articles out here, different ones in fact, about podcasting, which we all have, uh, you know, broadcasting podcasting backgrounds here. But basically, it was. Apple needs to fix the podcasting problem. Apple needs to make it easier for people to share and distribute their podcasts. And I know for me, this is something that I've been championing. And, you know, I I loved the fact that over the summertime, Apple came out with a podcasting app. And they have updated it a few times. And now you can subscribe. In fact, I actually prefer people subscribe to the Teacher Cast Show through that podcasting app rather than through iTunes, because that way they don't have to sync up their their phones and their iPads. Actually, I'd rather than right. subscribe both. But um, <laughs> but because of that, it is harder now to to handle things. Um, speaking as a, a podcaster and an app developer, when you put an app onto Apple. Um, there's a whole world of menus and screens and everything that you have to go through to make sure your app looks perfect. And there's a login and, and, and you have your own little system there. For podcasts, all you simply do is go on to iTunes and type in register podcast and put the RSS feed and it does everything else for you. Which means you can't change right. your feed, you can't do this, you can't do that. And there's so many things that aren't easy are not just aren't easy for us. Now, can you change your feed in iTunes? Yes. But the average person doesn't know how to do that. You really have to know how to play with code, which means that if you ever wanted right. to change your feed, you'd be easier just to open up a brand new iTunes feed. And what does that mean? Yeah. That means you lose all your ratings, your rankings, your everything on there, and now you're basically competing against yourself. Because a listener comes onto iTunes and types in the Tech Educator podcast and doesn't know which one to go with. Um, now, Jeff, you've right. had your podcast on iTunes for, what, a month or two months now? How did you feel about the uh, process getting into it? And how do you feel about the way Apple is treating podcasts? You know, it's been on there for just over two months now. And it's it's exactly like you said. I mean, there is no way to go about troubleshooting things when things go wrong it is literally you click on a link that says submit to itunes it gives you one box to fill in with your rss feed and that's it you have to know how to make sure that you format your rss feed to show up your title correctly and your album art and make sure that all the titles for all of your shows come in correctly and the description of your show And if you haven't done that, if you're just pulling from a standard WordPress feed, none of that will show up correctly. If you go and look at iTunes right now, you could easily find on the first page itself, maybe not the first page of podcasts, because those are always the popular ones. But if you jump down into a category page, you're going to see a ton of podcasts that have no album art. And I'm, I'm assuming it's not because they don't have it. I'm assuming it's because it's not tagged correctly and iTunes can't find it. 
And so I think you're totally right, and I think all these articles are right too, that they really do need to focus on pr providing a platform for people to be able to go in and submit these podcasts and be able to manipulate the title and the description and the album art inside of iTunes as opposed to relying on your secondary service to make sure that it's coming in correctly. Because there's been plenty of stories, too, where people's feeds just disappear out of iTunes and Apple's just like, well, it'll come back eventually. I mean, there's no standard protocol to fixing that, and that can be really annoying, especially for the people that are... Now, I mean, people are now starting to use podcasting as a revenue stream. I mean, it's the way that they earn a living. And so to have people be able to earn a living on podcasting but not support it in a way that you have surefire results when you are submitting a feed to iTunes and you know that it will stay there, I think they're behind the times on their own technology. Because, I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Apple was the one that really started the whole podcasting push, right? Isn't, I mean, well, a Apple is certainly correct? the place to be. Now, I, I know TeacherCast podcasts are on Apple iTunes and on Stitcher and Podcatcher, and, and there's a few others mm -hmm. that are out there. And, and really, if you go on to TeacherCast, if you go into Google, actually, and you type in TeacherCast podcast, and you just scroll down through all the things, you'll probably find no kidding, about 20 different services that just randomly pick up RSS feeds. Not something that we right. subscribe to, but they're, they're just called podcatchers. And so I, I've, right. I found my, my shows on numerous services that I didn't ask for, but no one's looking there anyway. And as somebody who's putting out the content, it's just nice to be included into these things. And I'm sure mm -hmm. Instructional Tech Talk over the time will be on these other services too, because they just spider the web for different video feeds, especially if it has a sure. FeedBurner um, account to it. But, yep. uh, you know, I do think that has to do something easier. I would love to see them include some iTunes University content with podcasting because so many classes these days are trying to go broadcasting and trying to go mm -hmm. podcasting. It would be really nice to do something educational for them or somebody out there, if you're listening, the, the, to, uh, to come up with some kind of educational way to, to throw all these things together. Now, yeah, now Sam, agree. you're doing some funky stuff on Tuesday nights with Patui. Could you talk to us a little bit about your setup and, and how you're doing it and uh, what time we can find you there? Sure. On uh, Tuesday nights, I've, I've been doing a number of different things. There's almost always, there. well, actually always, there's the uh, Twitter chat at 5 Pacific, uh, 8 Eastern, that runs on a number of different moderators and topics and subjects and uh Sometimes we run with video by way of the, uh, the teacher cast uh, chat page. And uh, sometimes we, we don't have video. It all depends on the topic. Like when we did the puppets in education chat, the video was really helpful. And, you know, we're trying to, similar as, you know, following your lead with the New Jersey Ed chat, really trying to find ways to bridge that space between video and the, the Twitter interaction. And we also run uh, Patui Talk, which takes a number of different forms, either pre-recorded or live in person, where we're using um, Ustream to broadcast uh, conversation with a member of the EdTech community. We had Answer Underground on a couple weeks ago, and this week we've got segments that were recorded live from the floor of NCCE. And this week for Patui Chat, what we've done is we've kind of poached a really hot topic that people were discussing actually for the last couple of days uh, 
a number of California educators and Rick Wormley have been talking pretty energetically about standard-based grading. But the conversation's been really hard to follow because it's been going on for like three days and they're not using a hashtag. So I suggested, you know, let's do a summative program on Tuesday. And uh, Darren Jolly from Texas, Dr. Jolly, he's going to be coming in to uh, moderate that. So kind of using our uh, professional reflective space to help people catch up on some of the most interesting discussions going on online. Let's talk about a topic that people are really starting to get into, which angrily, I would say, um, I've read actually they're getting into this angrily, which is um, the Evernote forcing people to reset their passwords. Sam, you had something on this. Makes me crazy. As a person who has a live scribe sky pen pilot program at his school where 50 <laughs> of our students have these live scribe pens that are connected to Evernote accounts, um, this is this is just a nightmare. This this just squelched what I expected to get done for at least the first two days of this week, because anyone that I want to actually be using these pens, I have to force them to reconnect them. Because not only do they have to reset their Evernote password, they have to resubscribe their LiveScribe pen to their Evernote account. Oh, and yeah, I yeah, it's. Which was that was difficult to do when I had somebody from Evernote in the building with me walking through it with the kids. And there's no automated way to do it at all. They have to run the full setup thing again. And any help I might have gotten from LiveScribe went away because my contact there doesn't work there anymore. Hmm. So, Sam, why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened? Well, from what I understand, what happened was they had a security breach, which seemed to be focused specifically at getting users' usernames and passwords. So about collecting or collecting and getting access to, you know, those accounts. And as an Evernote user who has put all kinds of things in my Evernote account, I'm really concerned about you know that because, you know, it's not like. I approached it by saying, well, this is a shared space, so I should never put anything secure on there. And I said, oh, Evernote's selling this to me as a digital lifestyle you know, accommodation device, so let's see what I can get out of it, right? So mm -hmm. you know, the refinance I'm working on, yeah, all those notes are in my Evernote. I'm not <laughs> feeling great about that right now. I believe that. Um, so you know, there's, there's that security issue, and... Um, you know, in response to that, they essentially reset everyone's passwords, I guess. Well, there's certainly been a big Which backlash is... on Twitter. I've seen a lot of people tweeting about it. And uh, did you see anything from any of the big Evernote people on Twitter, Jeff? Uh, nothing, I mean, nothing substantial. I saw that someone had tweeted to me. I mean, it was just serendipitous that my tweet would go out that talked about my Evernote and education podcast. Somebody responded to it saying, um, I don't know about this. But then again, despite that happening, I've had several people tweet to me saying, I don't care, Evernote still is a great tool and I'm you know, still going to continue using it. And it really hasn't swayed many people who are diehard Evernote people. Yes, it's an inconvenience, but no, I don't think people are going to leave Evernote just because of what happened. Well, 
let's hope for the best here because I know a lot of people have been using Evernote, and uh, maybe we'll put that as a topic on uh, Tuesday night at the NJ Ed chat because uh, I know again my co-host for the night there is a very big Evernote person, and uh, she'll be good to talk to. Uh, Jeff, cool. let's talk a little bit about the ICE convention. What presentations did you go to, and uh, was it your first time? Uh, no, it's not my first time at ICE. Uh, I've been going to ICE for the past several years, but it just continues to grow year after year. It's gotten to be the point where you know, ICE stands for Illinois Computing Educators, and yet I think half of the people that come to the conference are from out of state. It's just become this huge conference that people come to from all over the place. Um, and so it was it was fantastic. I went to several sessions. Most of them were run by either West Fryer. He was talking about how, you know, the difference between using like a mobile web app versus building an app for a classroom. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I went to Jenny McGarris' session where she's talking about innovating the classroom instead of just integrating technology. Uh, and that was a really good session. That's where she used Doctopus. So that was really cool. Um, and then Meg Wilson did a session about accommodating students using iPad apps, and that was really cool. Uh, she also did a session about, like I mentioned before, creating iBooks through iBooks Creator on the iPad. So she went through a bunch of great, awesome apps. Um, a lot of them are things that we've heard before, but just kind of gave some new ways to use them to help accommodate students that really need the additional help in the classroom. Now, have you ever done presentations um, at big conferences like this? Yeah, I've, I've done a few, and I'm doing one again in the next couple weeks. I'm going to the Connections Conference, which is put on by Illinois State, and uh, it will be at Pheasant Run as well. It's not as big as ICE, but um, it's always a really big showing, and it's all a lot of people that have you know, a lot of passion for instructional technology. Uh, the session I'll be doing there is how Twitter is effective for professional development. And so I'm looking forward to talking to people that hopefully don't know much about Twitter so that I can inform them, get them on Twitter, get them into the conversations, and show them how they can use Twitter, even if it's just a day a week or following up with you know some conversations. If they're not necessarily tweeting, they can at least follow some hashtags and be able to see what's out there and kind of ease their way into the process. So I'm very excited about that. ICE was awesome. And... You know, I think we're going to have to split up the conversations about what we learned from ICE into about 16 different episodes because it was just well, so we're good. Lots looking of good forward till next week when uh, our other co-host, John Samuelson, comes and joins us. And uh, maybe for that one, Sam and I could just kind of sit back for a while and let you guys talk about it and go back, go and, back forth. and forth about it. I, I think that sounds good. I think uh, jumping into that, well, I don't know. Do you want to talk about the conference you were at, Sam? Um, sure. You know, the uh, the Northwest Council for Compute, Com Computing Educators was, uh, I think it was just just the second, well, third tech conference that I've been to if you count EdCamp, and I would certainly count EdCamp. <laughs> um, and it was a little, it, it wasn't a huge conference. You know, there was just essentially maybe, I think, about 15 breakout rooms. Okay. And um, but it was a really good focus. Lots of librarians and tech educators, um, some content area educators. Uh, good presentations. A lot of practical kind of iPad application presentations. But they also had a lot of how to design, you know, tech policy for your school style presentations. 
uh, went to some really great sessions about uh, tools and ways to use tools online. I got an opportunity to present on developing a personal learning network, and that was always a, a good conversation to have with people. You never know necessarily what they're into when they come into the room. I was surprised at the number of people who showed up almost empty-handed. Hmm. Um, there was a session I went to called uh, Geek Speed Dating on Friday, and uh, Tim was running it, and it was a really great session, but like he ended up having to hand out extra Post-its to people so they could take notes. Like, Not oh only God. did they not have like a device in their hands, but they didn't, I mean, not even a pencil. Jeez. <laughs> That's rough. Yeah, you know, something cool that John and I did on the first day when we got there, we tweeted out a shared Google Doc and said, hey, let's attend all sessions by being present on the same Google Doc. And so we had about 60, 70 different people that were adding content to our Google Doc so that we have now a collaborative list of all the sessions that took place at the ICE conference, or at least a lot of them. Um, and the notes that go along with it with links to all the apps that people talked about all on I, one Google Doc. And it was I really saw cool. that doc. It was so you know, cool. We had this idea yeah. at ISTE last year of doing something similar to that, but with a Google site. And seeing oh, if cool. in one presentation weekend, we can create a, a ma- 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 what's the right big website. Behemoth? <laughs> yes. Uh, um... <laughs> A, a, a snuffleupagus of, 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 a, of a website, if you will. I will. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool, and it was really fun to watch people as they were editing things. Um, you know, just sitting in a session, you know that people are, you know, engaged with what the speaker's talking about because they're just frantically typing stuff in. And, you know, it's, it gets you going. It gets you motivated, and it was fun to watch. So that was a really cool idea. John came in with that on the day that he got there on Thursday. So it was a awesome idea and people just totally jumped on it. So, but I want to talk about Doctopus. Sure, go for it. Doctopus. Is there a theme music for that? I want. Dark there should be. <laughs> Sounds very sinister. I don't know why, but. Um... I'm pretty sure it's something like. <laughs> yeah, right. I think you're probably right. Well, Sam, why don't you start talking about what you had originally posted on there, and I'll kind of go off of what you say based on what Jenny did. Excellent. So, um, Doctopus is one of those things that I will admit I do not use yet and don't fully understand, but they were talking, I saw a post on Google Plus last night that was talking about how Doctopus, which is a system that allows teachers to use Google Docs in order to do instantaneous class distribution of documents. Mm -hmm. So you can essentially run an entire hybrid classroom off of Doctopus without using something like a learning management system like Edmodo or uh, Schoology or anything. If you just have students with email addresses, you can send them assignments, you can set up calendars, and you can collect work from them. And now you can also grade the work directly in the browser. So uh, using an add-on to Doctopus called Gubric, you can put a spreadsheet-based rubric inside of the browser, in the assignment, and be able to modify that and grade in the browser. Oh my gosh, that's really cool. It's it's really cool, and for you know, with 
my blog, mypaperlessclassroom.org. I'm always trying to figure out some way that I actually, as an English teacher, could you know, ride my bike everywhere and not have to carry 30 pounds of paper with me. And this, this actually brings that a lot closer because there's been a lot of motion recently on um, response to student writing and digital tools for response to student writing. But this one being based inside of Google Docs and cooperating with Doctopus really puts it in the position of being a unique connected tool. Yeah. Um, what have you heard about Doctopus? So... So I, the only thing I knew about it, and I had not heard of it until Jenny used it in her session, but now that she's used it, I'm totally hooked on it. I want to, I want the first opportunity I can find to actually use it. Um, the way that she used it was really cool. She had given her discussion about innovation and how we all need to stay connected in order to continue to grow. And the way that she demoed the use of this uh, technology is by telling us to you know either get out our phone get out a laptop or whatever and she sent us to a google form mm -hmm. and we filled out our information you know our email address and it had to be a gmail address so that it worked with octopus and then also select which category we fell into if it was either pre-kk you know one through five six through eight or high school or administrator and by doing that we have, you know, unbeknownst to us, classified ourselves for Doctopus to be able to send us the correct document. And nice. so once she took all those form responses into her spreadsheet, she was able to run Doctopus and say, I want the people that have been marked as administrator to get this form or to get this document. And I want the people that are marked elementary to get a different document. And so once we had all those things shared with us, we were able to go in and only the administrators were sharing their content and contact information with other administrators. And only the elementary people were sharing their information with elementary people. And she didn't have anything set up beforehand besides the form. And she was able to run all of this live in the session in 45 minutes. And that was the last 10 minutes of her session. I mean, it's something that's really easy to do, and you, it sounds crazy. I mean, there were 200 people in her session, and she was able to distribute out a, a user-specific document in less than 10 minutes to people based on their two-question form response that they sent into her. So it was really a cool thing, and you know, I think in faculty meetings, in conferences, in classrooms, there's so many different uses for Doctopus that will be making things so much easier for people to get out you know, information and people have been liking it to like a digital copier. You know, you don't have to disseminate forms anymore. You can just get them through this Doctopus form. But what I love about Doctopus is it's it's just script that operates inside of Google Drive. Right. Right. Like it's 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 nowhere. It's nothing. It's just Code. A tidy program. It's just code that's inside Google Drive, and I think they're doing a great job of really pioneering uh, a way of, of managing information that you know we all desperately need. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's cool stuff. I highly recommend checking out Doctopus, and there's a link to Doctopus information in the show notes. I think you put it in there, Sam. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're interested in finding out about Doctopus and you have no idea where to begin, you can head to the show notes for our episode at techeducatorpodcast.com. It's actually a copy of the spreadsheet. You just copy oh, cool. it and that's installed. Awesome. 
Yeah. That's now, perfect. Jeff, you also wanted to talk about something called visible tweets. Yeah, visible tweets is interesting, and I wanted to talk about it because we're using visible tweets at our building to actually display on our flat screen, treats, flat screen TVs that are throughout our hallways. Uh, we used to create PowerPoint presentations every day. Yes, every day. And we put all of our announcements on the PowerPoint slides, and then the PowerPoint slides automatically upload at midnight to the computer that streams out all the TVs. That was really cumbersome and very annoying because if something changed, you couldn't change it until the next day. So what I did is I changed all of our computers or all of those announcement screens over to just running a website called visibletweets.com. And it pulls directly from our school's Twitter page or Twitter account. And so every time that I tweet out, it will pull it to the screen and it will blow it up. It makes it huge. I mean, it's very readable. It's basically a Twitter projector almost, and it makes it look really good on the screen. So, um, you know, we were just looking for a solution because what we were doing was not working. And I wanted to be able to change things and modify on the fly and be able to shoot out short messages and limit people to short messages. I, I couldn't believe when people said, I want this on the announcement screen, and they give me like a friggin' book <laughs> of things that they want listed on there. And it was just too much. I mean, people that are walking by could not read it. And so if you limit yourself to 140 characters, you get a much more effective announcement. People actually have to think about what they're putting out there. So I just want to talk about it because it's worked really well. We've gotten a lot of comments that people really enjoy being able to both read it up on the screens and if they catch it, you know, something that looks interesting to them, they can just go back and look at our Twitter feed and be updated on what's going on. So visible tweets is really cool. It worked great in the classroom too for back channeling discussions because all you really have to do to feed in information to that uh, stream is it's just a Google search bar. So what we do is do from colon at Dundee Crown HS and that will pull in all the tweets from Dundee Crown. And one of the issues I found, though, is that I was replying to people's tweets, and those would show up in the feed as well. But it's really easy, so I just started putting a hashtag at the end of all of my replies that was DC reply, and I filtered that out. So I did minus hashtag DC reply from colon at Dundee Crown HS. And so it takes out anything with the hashtag of my reply, and, uh, you know, it works out phenomenally. So... I just wanted to share that because I think people are looking for those kind of solutions to being able to display announcements or even just getting started with a building Twitter account. Um, it has been really valuable nice. for us. So just want to bring it up. Very nice. It's really gorgeous. I just called it up and threw the Patui hashtag into it. And, uh, yeah, it's just searching back through all the recent Patui yeah. tags. So while you're talking about that, and I know we're trying to do this audio and video, but can you do a screen share so that way those who are watching the – the video feed can see what that looks like? I should be able to. Let now, while me, he's uh, doing that, Jeff, you had also mentioned something called Hashtagram? Hashtagram. We saw an ICE, actually. Um, they had projectors throughout the building uh, featuring images from Hashtagram.com. And all it is is as long as you hashtag pictures in Instagram, uh, people were hashtagging the hashtag for the conference, which was ICE13. Uh, it's just basically like visible tweets, but for Instagram. And so it would just be like a slideshow of anything that was hashtagged a certain image. So we had pictures of people throughout the entire conference, throughout the entire building. And it was a really cool thing to see. So 
I'm sure there's great applications for using this in the classroom for different uh, student projects as maybe they complete them. They, you know, use Instagram to send them out with a hashtag of maybe your classroom and uh, you'll be able to get a feed of all those automatically that you could display for parents during a parent nice. night or, you know, in your class students to be able to see. And uh, for those who are watching the visible feed here, we are watching the visible tweets going on. So it's a really neat, <laughs> uh, neat, neat picture there. Sam, you can come back. Okay. <laughs> Sam, do you have any specific apps you want to talk about? We've got a few more minutes left of the show. Um, there was, um, trying to find my way back to the document. I think there was something I put in there. Um, I think you put in Doctopus. Okay, so the other one I want to mention is one I don't understand at all. I saw an English teacher playing this app and really, really, really getting into it. And I'm like, so what is that? And she says, it's the grading game. Hmm. And it's a game in which the player is a TA working for an evil professor who's trying to fail his whole class. And you win the game by finding errors in letters and assignments that they give you. And you have to find a certain amount of errors in a certain amount of time or you fail. And it'll be like, you have to give the students a C minus. And this English teacher, she's sitting there going, bang, 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 you know, on her iPad. Like, boom, 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 errors. Boom, 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 errors. And I'm watching it. And I'm just getting anxiety. I'm like, oh, my God. I can't think about, like, like uh, the, the grading I actually have to do for my job. Right. It's so just just my not favorite thing to do anyway, <laughs> and I just have a very difficult relationship with you know assessment and numbers and grade reports and all of this sure. that that the idea of of becoming the persona of the vindictive TA trying to please the evil professor and fail all the poor students. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but the grading game, she loved it. I could, I, looking at it, I was actually like, well, if you wanted students to be able to identify common errors in writing, it's full of those. It's got passive voice. It's got comma splices. It's got, you know, formatting issues. It's got subject verb agreement issues, right? So, cool. I can see an application to it, but as an individual, I was just like, wow, Can't not the that. market for that one. <laughs> oh, that's a riot. I'll have to check that out just to get a little experience with it and see. <laughs> Maybe you can bring in another perspective. But, I you know, don't know. You, you got out of teaching English, so I don't know. <laughs> it, was the, it was the papers, man. It always is. Can't do it. <laughs> Oh, uh, what else we got, Jeff? Oh, I'm just looking around here. Jeff, are, when you were out at ICE, were there any iOS apps or mobile apps that uh, that hit your fancy? You know, I talked about a couple of them. Uh, iBooks Creator That's a good one. was was awesome. That's the one that Meg used in her presentation. If you don't follow Meg, follow Meg iPod Stabilities. Um, she has some really oh. great stuff, and she uh, was there presenting. We got to hang out and talk about some of the stuff that she's doing. And she highly recommends iBooks Creator, and that's how she actually created the book in her session. It was really a cool thing. Um, she kind of switched to what she was planning on doing that morning, and she ended up creating notes of her presentation while she was presenting, unbeknownst to us, in an iBook using iBooks Creator. And then at the end, she said, if you all want to take this home, I just created a book for you. 
and she created it, published it, and then we were able to use a QR code to scan it and take it home with us. So I was like, dang. That's <laughs> um, cool. So in 45 minutes, she showed us that she, you can create an iBook on an iPad using iBooks Creator. With She had text. She had voice. She had Wes Fryer come up and record into the iPad. She had Sue Gorman with a video clip, and she made links. She put a picture in there, and she had some notes about how to do all that stuff. She did it in 45 minutes, published it, and we were all, all able to take it home. Can so, you put a link to that in the show notes? Yes, absolutely. I'll put that in right now. And even a but, link um, to the, uh, I, the QR code or you know all that good stuff. Yeah, it's all in our Google Drive that or the Google Doc that we did for the conference, and I'll find that and I'll put it in there for the show notes. But um, it was phenomenal. She did a really great job, and if you don't follow her, like I said, definitely check her out because she's always posting cool stuff like that. Well, I found an app this week that I've been using in the classroom quite a bit. And um, basically, the app is called Wrong, W-R-O-N-G, with an exclamation point. And I'm showing it up here to the camera. And basically, it's a very, very simple app. And You're not on camera. Well, I am on camera. Well, not, <laughs> not yet. You're pointing at the wrong And side. so basically, it's like a buzzer. And I'll, I'll put it up here to the, to the microphone. And basically, what I found is that somebody is, is bright and is really, really trying their best, but then just didn't get the right answer. You hit the button, and it says, WRONG! <laughs> and I find it's good for teenagers. Oh, I and like there's that. There's four different voices to tell somebody that they're wrong. Um, I also found <laughs> one, and, and this is a really neat one here. This is a serious one, actually. This is called MFTS, which is my first train set. And it's a 3D virtual playset um, where you can create your own digital and virtual train sets. And they have different environments like the kitchen and the playroom and the outside. But you get a chance to lay down the train tracks and choose which color trains that you want. And then you can drive your train. And it's not just on the floor. You can actually go up the hill or say like you have a desk up somewhere. You can actually put the train... Um, on an incline, and it really, it's pretty neat. Now, I find on an iPhone 4, it's quite difficult to get around, but on an iPad 4, the new iPad, it looks great, and it works amazingly. So I'll put the show notes together on that, but it's it's my first train set. I, I found it's great for elementary, because just like when you're building a train set, you still have to figure out how to loop it around so that way they connect to each other. But you right. can you can do a lot with that, and um, yeah, I would definitely try that one out. I think it was a dollar ninety nine. But you know what? If you're on an airplane flying back from the ice convention, I think it's a great thing to do in the airplane because because <laughs> it's certainly there. Well, maybe John's doing that maybe, right now. Maybe he's listening to us. We have we actually have quite a few people watching us. And remember, you can certainly watch us every week, Sunday at 7 o'clock on teachercast.net slash live, where we come to you with, uh, well, at least this is entertaining comments for each other. So um, is there anything else that we want to hit for the good of the order? Next week, of course, we'll be back live talking more about the ICE conference. And next week for me, um, on Saturday, I'll be at the NJEA, New Jersey Educators Association Tech Conference. I'll actually be presenting two, pre- two sessions. One of them is how to create a digital classroom where I'm going to be showing off cool. how I'm using WordPress and podcasting and 
basically I'm going to open up the Pandora's box and show people what I do in my classroom. And then the other one is is it, it's kind of a more focused, but it's basically how to make a great WordPress website. Cool. And so we've had a lot of people out there who've been asking me about it, and I'm almost done my second online course, which is going to be about WordPress and how to use it. I'm actually almost there, but it's uh, it's close to 40 videos right now. Um, nice. Good so, for you. Yeah, uh, it's, I'm not sure if it's going to be out soon, but I've got spring break at the end of the month, so I think that's the next time I'm going to be able to make a big push for it. Uh, Jeff, what do you have going great. on this week over at uh, Instructional Tech Talk? Uh, well, we just released this week's weekly challenge, and it's actually to check out the website classbadges.com. It's a great website. Uh, it's really cool. And uh, thanks to Sam, you recommended to me that we set up a class badges class for the weekly challenge. And so I kind of tied them in together. We're going to check out classbadges.com and also get enrolled into the weekly challenge uh, class badges account. So. If you need information about that or you want to try it out, you can head over to instructionaltechtalk.com slash challenge six, and it will give you all the information. Um, the instructions that are textual are how to actually join our class, and then there's a screencast there as well if you like it enough that you can uh, sign up as a teacher. Uh, the really cool thing is I just found out it must have just happened in the past couple of days. I think they came out of beta because you no longer have to request an invitation to join. You can sign up and you're automatically in. So that's um, really exciting for class badges. I've you know enjoyed getting used to seeing them. And uh, it's I, I had a request. I wanted to see a hashtag badge because there was one of my challenges was participating in a Twitter chat. And there wasn't one. And I emailed them. And within 15 minutes, he emailed me back and said, done, check it out. I'm like, sweet. Awesome. <laughs> so they're really uh, great customer service there, too. So uh, that's what's going on recently. There's going to be posts coming out all week from the ICE conference. So if you're interested in some new head tech greatness, uh, just definitely check on the website every couple days and uh, see what's nice. new. And Sam, what do you have going on in the Pitui world? Two World, we've got a mega chat happening on Tuesday with uh, Rick Wormley should be there, Class Badges should be there, Dr. Jolly should be there, um, talking about grading and standard-based grading. Um, we're going to have probably three or four different video talks come out this week. Uh, we talked with Panasonic about their new interactive display board. Uh, we talked to Troxel Communications, and they uh, packaged together a document camera, a, a Juno front row tower, and a projector, kind of an all-in-one digital classroom package. Cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and we also got a chance to talk to um, Dave McCollum from TechSmith, and he was sharing about the Coach's Eye app, which allows you to take video and annotate and comment on it, which was really exciting. And he and I actually talked about what that would look like inside of an English classroom. You, you need sure. to push him yeah, my way. Really I've cool. actually been speaking a lot with them, not recently, um, but I was talking to them about using it in a music classroom. <clears throat> I actually sent them some samples mm -hmm. of me with some of my students, my older students, how we were using it in music class to help adjust, you know, violin playing. And I said, look, you guys have to market that thing for marching bands. Imagine being up on the top oh, of the 50-yard totally. line with that thing, and you've got complete instant access to, you know, the John Madden Telestrator and, and the whole deal. But, uh, yeah, please push them our way, because I've got 
a lot of resources for that thing and and lots of ways that I use that thing and and they know me over there but well and and I talked to TechSmith cuz they're going to have a, a a giant broadcasting booth at ISTE yep, also they, they had a great one with a uh, a green they're, they're talking about possibly having a green screen area oh, so cool. I was suggesting that we would have to do some uh, some collaborative effort they were very interested in that and uh, Panasonic seemed amicable to the idea of giving us possibly a camera to play that with. would be oh, nice. amazing now would you put the green screen so around more... your arm so that they just see this ghost this ghost puppet <laughs> well no you 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 wear a green shirt i mean really <laughs> there you the go. green man group podcast everybody yeah right there you it's go. coming you better watch out and again it. on TeacherCast this week, check us out on Tuesday nights at uh, 8.30. We've got the NJ Ed chat, and I think, like I said earlier, I think we're going to start doing the EduCoach chat this week. So, But if not, you can certainly follow the EduCoach hashtag at 10 o'clock. I know they're in the middle of a book chat. They're doing a several-week uh, book chat that they're going to be doing. So check that out um, if you can on Tuesday. Uh, sorry, on Wednesday nights. Well, my friends, that does wrap up another episode, episode number five of the Tech Educator Podcast. I want to again thank jo- uh, J- Jeff, John, and Sam for being our co-hosts, as Sam is trying to psych me out over there. To participate in next week's show, you can certainly leave a voice message at Tech Educator Podcast.